Welcome everyone to Bible study. This is Nick Rita, your host. Very happy to be with you again today and uh, thank you for tuning in with us. It's a pleasure to be able to open the Bible and to learn together about what God is expecting from us all. To know, to learn, to come closer in understanding God's will for us all. We are um, approaching the Bible for this last few weeks and uh, we'll continue to do that to see how the Bible is relevant. I would like to just welcome quickly our panel via Zoom. First of all, thank you very much, Len, for joining us. Yes, I am always pleased to study the Bible with others, and I trust that today's study will be a blessing to us all. Ken, welcome to the Bible study also. Thank you. It's always great to be here. And Harvey, good to have you with us too. Hi, all. I hope that what we do today is a blessing to everyone. And I'd like to also welcome Lydia last week because I couldn't see her on the screen. I miss on welcoming her, but uh, we twicely now welcome her today. Uh, thank God for being here, studying his holy word. I'm very happy to be here. And Brenton, good to have you with us also. It's nice to be on from the deep south where it's always raining and wet. And... Yeah. Um, Today we are going to be studying this very important topic. I'm looking forward to Helen leading us in our study because if we don't understand inspiration correctly and how inspiration works, I believe we can have a lot of problems. So, Nick, it's quite an exciting study today. Very good to have you with us. I can see through the window a bit of a sunshine there. Is it or is it just the light? A little bit of sunshine. I'm going to have to eat my words. <laughs> that's good. That's good. Helen is our um, facilitator, and thank you, Helen, for putting together this Bible study. Welcome to the program. Well, thank you, Nick. Number one, Brenton, we've got the same weather. It's not very pleasant. It's wet, but praise the Lord for the rain. And and number two, yes, I have learnt through this lesson this week, and, and I hope all of our listeners will learn as well. And I believe there is wisdom in the collective knowledge of those who also study the Bible. So I'm looking for that wisdom out of our program today. Thank you. Wherever you are listening from, the Bible is an interesting book, but I hear lots of people say, oh, it's just a book about fables, a book about myths. It's not relevant. It's an old, old book. And yes, it is an old, old book. But I'm going to ask the panel today, is the Bible relevant to you and me today, living today in the situations that we're in? Well, it must be, because it's one of the world's best-selling books. Mm-hmm. Because of that, um, people find meaning in it. Have you got well, any backing on that statement, Len? Yes, I have some um, suggestions. Mm-hmm. First of all, it's an outline of morals for all human beings, and that's found in the Ten Commandments. It also gives about behaviours, how we should behave to each other. That's not only in the Ten Commandments, but we can read a lot about how we should behave in, say, the book of Proverbs. The Bible outlines the way to eternal life. And if that's not relevant, I don't know what is. I mean, people are worried about the COVID virus, but this is even more important than the COVID virus. It talks about origins, how we came to be, what we're doing here, where we're going. And it must be relevant because at the moment there are at least 50,000 people 
who are in prison because of their convictions on the Bible, and they are prepared to go to prison, be tortured and mistreated on the fact that they have beliefs and principles which disagree with what the government of the day uh, doesn't agree with. So for me personally, it tells me how to behave, what's right, what's wrong, the way to eternal life, origins. I find it very relevant. Yeah, Helen, I'd just like to say that the Bible really is an instruction booklet, but human nature, I believe that the majority of people, when we get a new appliance of some description, the very last thing we do is to look at the instruction manual. We try to work our way through it, and we find that things aren't working right or we can't get something to go or or why is it doing this or why doesn't it do that? And, and often we don't even go to look at the instruction manual. And the Bible thinks exactly the same. We're in this earth and it's God's world. And he has supplied us with this amazing book which tells us about basically every facet of life, how to cope with it, how to look at it, how to get through it. And some of us read it and think, oh, that's all too hard. And other, words, other people read it and study it. And then through study and the gift of the Holy Spirit, they begin to understand what it's all about. Oh, that's um, well put, Ken. Thank you for that. Helen, and another interesting point, I think, with the Bible is this. If you read an interesting novel or something like that, you often get into it and you start to identify with the key people in that particular novel. When you read the Word of God, you can sense as you read it that you are dealing with a being who says that my thoughts are not your thoughts and my uh, ways are not your ways. But he has condescended to bring his communication down to our level so that we can have a relationship with him. I like uh, John 5.39 where Jesus said to the Pharisees, you search the scriptures because in them you think you have eternal life, but they are they which testify of me and yet you won't come to me to have life. I read a novel or a book to learn about the person, but in reading the Bible, you not only learn about the person, you actually become like the person. Excellent. Thank you very much, Brenton. Is there anyone else who wants to add to that? The Bible is still relevant today because people who are reading the Bible in our days are changed and their testimonies are saying that the Bible's principles, changing their characters, and it's a pleasure to read, brings you hope, gives you strength and power and assurance in your life. Further on that, Helen, uh, as was mentioned already, many other books become bestsellers, but after a while, you know, maybe just forgotten, never uh, come back into attention of people. But the Bible, over the ages, even though it was restricted from people uh, to be read, and people are still demanding, and people were uh, finding um, powerful in their lives. I, I would like to read, actually, um, a verse from the Bible just to support this. In uh, Hebrew chapter 4, verse 12, For the word of God is living and powerful, and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit, and of joints and marrow. And it is 
a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. I believe this one is putting very, very well how uh, powerful the Bible is and uh, is not like any other books in the world. Thank you to both you and to Lydia. Lydia, you touched very much on, on what my thoughts were as well, and thank you for that. It is a transforming power. And, um, yeah, Nick, you brought that in in that text. You know, the word of God is not simply a collection of words from God. It's a vehicle for communicating ideas. It's living. It's life-changing. It's dynamic as it works on us. And with the incisiveness of a surgeon's knife, God's word reveals who we are and what we are not. It penetrates the core of our moral and our spiritual life. It discerns what is within us, both good and evil. The demands of God's word, though, require decision. We must not only listen to the word, we must also let it shape our lives. And that's where the transforming power comes in. So thank you, panel, for that. Let's move on. What should we do when we come across texts or ideas that appear contradictory to each other's in the Bible? I've had some people say this, oh, the Bible contradicts itself. What should we do, panel? Well, there are several instances where people who are enemies of the Bible have pointed out various contradictions. One of them is about the madman of Gadara. Mm-hmm. In one of the Gospels, it says a madman, and in another of Gospels, it says there were two. Now, how do you rectify that? Well, I, in my own thinking, have thought this, where Jesus spoke to the one, although there was another one there. Another instance people bring up is about the death of Judas. After Judas had um, received money, bright money, if you like, from the Jews, and he found out that he'd made a big mistake, he was very remorseful, took the money back, they didn't want it. So it says in Matthew 27, 5, so Judas threw the money into the temple Then he went away and hanged himself. Now, in one of the other Gospels, it says his bowels gushed out. So there are two different explanations, but I think there's only one. But Judas must have climbed a tree, had it with a rope around his neck, slung it over a branch and jumped, and the branch broke, or the rope broke, and down he went crashed on some rocks. So I don't see that there's any contradiction there. Okay, anybody else got some thoughts on that? I think if you look for contradictions, perhaps you're, you're doing the wrong thing with the Word of God. But the issue is basically that the Bible is a, a group of books. There's 66 books actually written by over 40 authors and some of them were witnesses and it's like any witness in a trial. Sometimes their perspective is slightly different to somebody else's perspective. But in actual fact, what they're reporting is what they have seen. So I don't think we should be looking for contradictions within the Bible because the Bible is a unity of work that God has given to us. Totally agree with what Harvey has said. Now, in various conversations with various people, Jesus referred to the Old Testament scriptures He referred to this one, that one. He referred to Isaiah, Jeremiah, and and the writings of Moses. And each time he said, it is written, such and such. He himself used the Old Testament scriptures as we know them, and he never contradicted anything. 
Jesus never tried to override the scriptures. He would give perhaps a different interpretation. We can read about that in Matthew chapter 5. He says, you have heard such and such, but I say to you, he actually amplified what the scriptures had previously said. Yeah, Brenton, what would you like to say? Basically, the way to study the scripture where it uh, appears to contradict itself is the way I do it, Helen, is to look at every text in the scripture that deals with that particular topic. Sometimes there is only one text. Often you'll find, though, that uh, so-called controversial subjects have more than one text. What you need to do then is have a look at the context in which the text was written. Who was it written to? Did it have a local application? Or does it have an application for everybody? That's one way of looking at it. Jesus said in Matthew twenty-two twenty-nine. you remember the story of the Sadducees putting a, it's hypothetical to him about a man, a woman who married and didn't have children and her husband died. At the end of it, Jesus said this. He said, you do err, not knowing the scriptures or the power of God. I believe Harvey touched on it, I think, earlier on. I believe what's important is to study the scriptures with a desire to know the truth, not study the scriptures to reinforce your preconceived ideas. And Jesus is really saying, you guys get nothing out of the scriptures because you're only reading them to back your own arguments up. I'm telling you that you actually err. You don't know the scriptures because in the next section, he says, in the resurrection, they neither marry nor are given in marriage. In other words, You are ignorant of what the scriptures teach. The first and foremost thing we should always do before we study the scriptures, Helen, is have a humble and teachable spirit and say, Lord, I'm here. Please reveal what you would have me to know from the word and give me a willingness to follow it. Yes, thank you for those thoughts. And Ken, you wanted to say something. Yeah, I just want to bring it into a modern context, I believe. I think it's really interesting what Harvey said we had 66 books and it's somewhere around 40 writers. Now, one of the fascinating things today is when there's a, some sort of incident in the world or accident where there's many people around seeing it, when these people are interviewed, they all say, yes, this, this actually happened, but they all have a slightly different view of actually how it happened, but yet the accident or whatever actually did happen and I, th- I think that's an interesting point also Helen I'd like to mention uh, as I read a bit earlier in um, Hebrew 4.12 that the Bible is uh, like a um, two-aged sword now even those people who may have wrong um, intention in uh, you know using some parts of the Bible it's interesting enough that uh, most of the people even those people who rejected the Bible in the end they came to some conclusions that uh, they theory, let's say, of life uh, is not all what it matters. There is something else. I mean, even the atheists, some of those people, if I would like to mention like Karl Marx, for example, or some other people, they recognize that there is something else there. There is a higher power. And that's what the Bible is it's, um, bringing to our attention. The Bible, you asked a question earlier, what should we do if we have some controversial passages in the Bible, not easy to understand. And very easy, an answer to that is to compare it and understand the principle. I remember right now somebody showing me his way of reading the Bible. And he used to just open the Bible accidentally, you know, whatever, put a finger there, 
and just read the passage, you know, from that part of the Bible. And sometimes it can be very encouraging, but sometimes very, it can, can be very disappointing. Because uh, he read one day, he just opened the Bible and put a finger on the, on the verse there. And when he read, he said, and he went, went out and he hangs himself. Now, if you don't take that, you know, out of context, then what you should understand from a passage in the Bible, you have to, as Brenton mentioned, if you don't have clear understanding in comparison with the whole Bible, you have to understand also the context, you have to understand the situation in which was told, uh, and all those things. You know, it's a very open book which will give you life, which will give you understanding if you really approach it in the right way. Thank you very much for that. I think the ending of that story you were saying was that he he opened the next part of Scripture and it says, go do likewise. That's correct. um, Yeah, we've got to be very, very careful. Especially, I think, one thing that helps us to know is the fact that the Bible was really above all that you must realize that no prophecy in Scripture ever came from the prophet's own understanding or from human initiative. These prophets were moved by the Holy Spirit and they spoke from God. God is not an or not a God of chaos. He's a God of order. And without that, that um, unity in the Bible, we would lose a convincing and liberating power. It, it, um, when I find something like that, I go back and I check and check and check. And it increases my belief because I find out that the Bible actually doesn't contradict itself. And for me, that's, that's so very important. Okay, let's move on. Question for the panel. Has scripture always been clear to you? And was there a time you didn't understand some texts? I need to have them clarified later. Go for it, panel. Well, Helen, I, that's, that's a very good point. Uh, I think the, the Bible to me is like a roadmap. And when I first got involved with it, I'm sure like many people, when I was sort of on my own and trying to read it, so much of it didn't make a lot of sense to me. But as we journey through life and as we journey through the Bible, things begin to fall into place. And as you do Bible study with more learned people, the Holy Spirit leads you into different things. Things become clearer. But I don't believe you're going to read the Bible first time through and understand it all. It's a journey. And as the Lord leads you through it, he takes you one step at a time. There's not much point in starting off in the Bible and uh, expecting maybe to, say, understand all the prophecies or you understand how you should live a Christian life. So I believe it's a journey. And as we journey through it, we're always seeing new light that the Lord is sending to us. Thank you, Ken. Just before I go on to Len, just one thing to say, and that is you said it's like a map. I hate to say this, but there are a lot of people that can't read maps. But I think there's an answer to that. At that time, we need to go and learn how to read Okay, we'll have Len and then Brenton. Thank you. Anyone who claims to understand all the Bible, I think is a hypocrite, because the Bible is so deep, you can understand much of it, but you will have difficulty in understanding all the deep things of God. Now, I want to give a little personal thing. In Colossians chapter 2 and verse 14 is a text which a lot of people have tripped up on. It says, having cancelled the written code with its regulations that was against us and that stood opposed to us, he took it away, nailing it to the cross. Face value, it means that the law was nailed to the cross. 
But as you study it more and understand what Jesus actually did, it wasn't the law that was taken away. And since then, I have found many other texts supporting the fact that the moral law still stands. What was taken away was, of course, the ceremonial law. And I could give other texts, but I want to give other people a chance to speak. Matthew chapter 5, verses 17 and 18, some people have stumbled over that. Jesus said, look, there will not be the least little bit taken away from the law until everything is fulfilled. So the more you know, the more you know. Uh, Thank you, Ming, for that. I think it's important, too, that by our own understanding, we cannot understand. It's only by asking the Holy Spirit to take over and to give us understanding. Now, I'll have Brenton and then Lydia. I think you have something, too. Thanks, Brenton. Helen, has scripture always been clear to me? The answer is no. Was there a time you didn't understand the texts or uh, had them clarified later? The answer to that is yes. And the illustration I will give is this. COVID-19 hasn't all been bad. During the period that we've been, shall we say, self-isolated, I have found an incredible amount of time to do Bible study and to read perhaps sections of the Bible that I wasn't terribly clear on before. One of the things that is, um, I've got really excited about and I'm actually sharing with our church family down here in the southeast is the study of the book of Revelation. Now, the book of Revelation in chapter 1 and verse 3 says, Blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of the prophecy and keep those things. Now, you can read and hear, but if you can't understand, you're hardly likely to follow. Um, I'm finding that there is an incredible amount of the book of Revelation that comes from the book of Ezekiel, the book of Daniel, and the book of Jeremiah. We've been studying recently chapter 15, chapter 17, and chapter 18 of Revelation, which is fairly deep stuff. But when you compare it, Helen, with the Old Testament, you realize that John is virtually, if we were to use a computer illustration, he's doing paste. (laughs) He's actually pressing the button and pasting and putting it in the revelation that God has given him. It's virtually word for word what you can find in Ezekiel 26 and 27. And it's really, really exciting because this is, I believe, as you study the book of Revelation in particular, you come to know the person that the book is about, Jesus Christ. And I would have to say personally, it has increased my love for my Saviour a great deal. Thank you for that, Brendan. And I believe that Jesus himself copied and pasted an awful lot from the Old Testament if we want to use today's language. Lydia, you had something you wanted to share. The Bible, it's not like any other books. It's a, it's a special book. It's a very deep book with a very deep meaning. It's not to be read like any other books. And if you are keen to understand the Bible and its writings, you have to approach it with a faithful and prayerful attitude of the word to gain the knowledge and with an attitude of humility and submission. And uh, because the Bible, it's very clear in, in its teachings and its writings. Uh, even the children can understand its writings. Uh, and uh, I would like to mention a text in the Bible which sustained this in uh, Luke chapter 24, verse 
44, Jesus says that everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses. And in verse 45, it says, Then he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. It means when we approach to read the Bible, not only read the Bible, but study the Bible, we have to come in humility to the Lord, to God, and ask for His Holy Spirit to be sent in our hearts and minds to bring light and understanding of the Word, because His Word, it's a holy Word. It's not any other words like any other books. So only the Holy Spirit is the one who brings us understanding and clarity to the Word of God. Great. Thank you. Excellent. Nick? Yeah, I just wanted to also say something here because, you know, as Lija was pointing out, it may seem like a bit uh, contradicting the terms that said that the book is very deep. The Bible is deep. You know, you need to approach it in a right way. And at the same time, she said that even a child can understand it. And you, you have apparently here a bit of uh, contradiction. Actually, what it means, and I would like to read the passage in the Bible, which we used it before in 2 Timothy 3.16. And it says simply this, all scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what is right. Now, it's important because the question was, if we understood from the beginning everything from the Bible, I'm a tradesman and I learn carpentry and I used to make things with my own hands. Now, I used to do it maybe taking long ways to do a table or a chair or something like that. There were other ways to do it much simple, much easier. But time and practice and learning helped me to do it much better and much quicker, the same thing. That's with, with the Bible. You need to, to allow the Bible to be part of your life. Not only take it out of the shelf when you want to debate a topic or a subject. The Bible needs to be like, as I said, like a trade. You improve it and improve it from day to day, from moment to moment. And that's where it comes really reliable for you. If you just pull it out of the shelf just for certain instances, it may confuse you. Thank you, Nick. What a great illustration. We now know where to get our cupboards made, don't we? <laughs> but yeah. thank you so much for that. Len, I believe you wanted to say something. I just wanted to say this. Somebody um, spoke to me fairly recently and said, I would like to read uh, something of my Bible. Where should I start? Well, I wouldn't suggest they start at Revelation because that's got a lot of symbols. And I said, well, what you should do is read the first four chapters, the uh, first four books of the New Testament, and then perhaps Acts, and then go back to Genesis and read Genesis and Exodus because they are more narrative-type things. Yeah. And as you get in deeper, you will go into things like Revelation and Daniel and uh, some of the uh, prophets. And just quickly on that one, I read in this morning about an experience from somebody just in that regard. And I like to, to just point out this. Uh, when he was exposed to the Bible, right in Revelation, what I like to say is depends where your interest is at. 
if you are interested in something, you know, in some parts of the Bible which really can capture your attention, is not wrong. The Bible doesn't have only to start uh, in one uh, part of the Bible or the other. God inspires you. God leads you. You know, if you are interested in something, put your hands on, check it out, and then it will lead you to the other parts which you may not uh, yeah, be so interested or understand at the time. I, I believe take it where the inspiration comes from. That's yeah. a good point too, Nick. Thank you so much for that. And um, thank you also for sharing a little bit, um, Lynn and the rest of the panel, you know, on how that we can follow the map and understand it a bit more. Well, so far we've actually touched on is the Bible relevant today and we agree it is. Uh, we've touched on the unity of the Bible and we agree that it is united. It is written by the Holy Spirit through uh, the prophets. We believe that the um, when we can't understand it, that if we keep on searching, um, as um, Nick mentioned, and the more that you get into the word, the, the clearer it will get, and that was a, a, a good um, understanding of it. And also the interpretation we've already touched, is it important to gather and read all that the Bible says about a topic in order to understand best what the Bible teaches? And I think we've, we've pretty well covered that one. Len, you want to say something before we move on? Yes, before you go on to the next part. Thank you. I believe that as we read the Bible, we should do it with what I would call the scientific approach. That is, read it, and as you read it, you will come across various pieces of evidence. And after that, you'll be able to form a conclusion. The wrong way to read it is, is to have a conclusion first, and then try and gather evidence to satisfy that conclusion. I believe that has been responsible for many people making uh, gross theological errors when it comes to what they believe. Thank you for that. I remember being told that look up as all the texts that you have to do with it, line it up, and if it looks like a picket fence in line and not a dog's hind legs, you can be fairly sure that you've come out at the right end. But if it is, it's all crooked, we need to go back and look again. So thank you for that. Yeah. So please, panel, tell me what erroneous beliefs do people hold because they've looked at only a few select texts rather than at all that the Bible says about a topic? I know we've mentioned before about uh, Judas and what have you, but can you think of other erroneous beliefs that have crept into our church and churches because people hold a creed or a doctrine on one text, for example, or just a couple. Anybody give me some examples? I think there's a, an interesting example in Scripture where the crucifixion, during the crucifixion of Jesus, which is central to Christianity without a doubt. So it is one of the most important, if not the most important, subject of salvation. But in the story of the crucifixion, we have the story of the thief on the cross. And in the scriptures, you find that it says when the thief asked Jesus to remember him when he came into his kingdom. And as far as the text we have in, say, the King James Version, the King James Version says, I say unto thee, today you will be with me in paradise. So here's a situation where on the face of it, the text is really telling us that when they died, they would go straight to heaven because it was going to be today. That's when they were both going to die. 
And so you immediately get the idea that perhaps as soon as you die, you go to heaven. And a lot of people believe that, of course. But in reality, it's where the comma is because the punctuation was not actually in the original. And if a person had a preconceived idea and they interpreted the text the way it is, they would put the comma where it shows in the King James Version. But in reality, if you shifted the comma and and say, I'm saying to you today, you will be with me in paradise, it's really saying, I'm telling you now, you're going to be with me in paradise. And so it's really just emphasising the fact that we have to not just take an issue on one text and look at all the evidence and we go to the preponderance of evidence, not just what one says, because maybe that one is not appropriate. And on this, that particular issue, one text is not right. Yeah, well, thank you for that, Harvey. And I guess that comes up, and Lynn, you're probably even going to bring this, I don't know, but um, and Brenton, but I guess that comes back to studying on the doctrine of death in Scripture. Many people believe differently to what the Bible does, and I used to until I did an in-depth study. But, Lynn, what would you like to share? All right. Well, in the book of Revelation, the prophet John says, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day. Many people regard the Lord's Day as Sunday, the day of Christ's resurrection. But, you know, it's not. The Lord's Day is the Sabbath. Jesus says the Son of Man, that's him, is Lord of the Sabbath. And back in Isaiah chapter 58 and verse 13, God calls the Sabbath the Lord's Day. So rather than assuming, which many people do, that the Lord's Day is Sunday, you need to look at the Bible and find that it's not on Sunday, it's on the Sabbath, the seventh day of the week. There is one text here that is causes a lot of people a lot of um, problems. First Corinthians 15 is probably the most powerful chapter in the New Testament on the resurrection of Jesus Christ. But then you come down to verse 29 where Paul is arguing for the fact that if Christ hasn't risen, uh, we are still in our sins, we're of all people most miserable. But in verse 29 he says, Otherwise, what will they do who are baptised for the dead if the dead do not rise at all? Why then are they baptised for the dead? Now, there are people who believe, who follow this um, single text implicitly. You've got to actually study the whole context to, to come up with exactly what Paul is talking about here. And there have been so many different versions of this given, but this is just a simple example, Helen, of putting together a doctrine, a very important doctrine for some people, based on one text. I believe that any major doctrine of the Bible must be supported by more than one text, preferably a multiplicity of texts, preferably texts from both the Old Testament and the New Testament. Yeah, I agree with you too, and I think the rest of the panel would also, Brenton. There are many, many things that that we could bring up that people have taken on one text, you know. The premise that once saved, always saved, if we go yeah. back and check scripture on that, and Paul says, I die daily. Why? Because he needed that, that saving grace every day. There are others, you know, the form of baptism, for example, and when you study that, and I can remember when I started studying the Bible, it just kept blowing my mind. I kept thinking all the things that I believed when I was younger was didn't stand up to um, scrutiny of the Bible, which I think was, um, was very important. It taught me a lot. Harvey, you wanted to say something. 
is simply that Jesus himself said it's only using two or three witnesses before a thing can be established. And that's a, a good principle as far as Bible study is concerned. And this um, goes against the concept of making a doctrine out of one text. You need two or three witnesses. In other words, there should be backing up in Scripture for that to make the evidence strong and to make it a reality, in fact. Also, I'd like to just quickly say uh, something that Jesus himself used some of the um, uh, teachings or, you know, phrases which were not very clear. Why did Jesus do that? The disciples came to Jesus and said, uh, why are you teaching in parables? Because they don't understand. And Jesus' reply was something like this, because they don't have a heart to understand. Because their mind is into how to twist things around. But Jesus said, but for you, it's to be understood because the Holy Spirit, it's bringing you know, into light what I'm telling you. And it, because he was referring to the Pharisees, the Pharisees has all his wrong intention. How can they catch Jesus in what he's saying? You may say, why Jesus didn't tell things plainly? Why do we have prophecies in the Bible? Why do we have symbols in the Bible? Why is not everything clear? It's because God expects us to be a diligent student of the Bible. Thank you, Nick. Very important. Which reminded me, it's also important to go back and check on uh, the context when someone were reading something as to who wrote it, when it was written, and why it was written to yeah. help us understand more, especially in this, this day and age. Harvey, did you have your hand up? You wanted to say something, or did I? I'm happy to say something, but I wasn't oh. looking for it at that point. But it's a case of that Jesus spoke in parables, and it's, it's actually a technique that we use when we preach. If a person preaches, very often you use an illustration. Admittedly, the way Jesus spoke in parables, to many of the people, they didn't really understand what he was saying. But we use it the other way, usually. We use a story to back up what we're trying to say to make it clearer. But for people that were anti-Jesus, I suppose we could say, sometimes they didn't understand what he was getting at. Uh, just quickly, um, some of what Nick was saying comes from Matthew 13, not all of what he was saying. I've just been looking at it while he was talking. It's really interesting. What Jesus said regarding the parables is this. He said, I talk to them in parables so that seeing they don't see, so that hearing they don't understand, so that they don't turn and I will heal them. He's quoting directly from the book of Isaiah, where God said to Isaiah, go and talk to this people. Really, you're talking to people who are deaf, spiritually deaf, blind, spiritually blind and undiscerning. And really what Jesus is saying, the reason I talk to them in parables is not just for the reason that the Pharisees are trying to trap me. The reason I'm talking to them in parables is because I want them to understand. But unfortunately, their um, spiritual vision is clouded and they can't understand. Now, in the days in which we live today, the most important thing, I think, Helen, for all of us is to approach the scriptures, not with a preconceived idea, but saying, Lord, please reveal to me in the word of God what you would have me to know. I believe what Jesus is really saying in talking to the multitudes is they haven't got the correct 
understanding to understand what I'm trying to tell them. So therefore, I talk to them in parables, hoping that some of them will take it further. Because remember, even the disciples didn't understand his parables half the time. They kept saying to us, explain to us the parable. Why did you talk to them that way? Okay, Harvey, what would you like to say? Thanks. Just a simple statement, and that is that when we study the parables ourselves, we read the story, and it can be an interesting story. But the more we study them, the more we see in them. Okay, let's just move on. I was a little bit surprised the other day when I learnt of all the different types of Bibles that are out there. I don't know what you guys study with. I know that God can use um, anything and anyone at any time to bring us to him. But I was a little bit concerned in the light that I believe there is a very grim warning about adding or subtracting from its truth, and it's in Revelation 22, 18 and 19. Perhaps someone would like to share that, and then I'd like to make a comment, please. I'd be happy to do that, Helen. Thank you. Uh, Just reading from the King James Version, Revelation 18. And 19, testify unto every man that heareth the words of the prophecy of this book. If any man shall add unto these things, shall add unto him the plagues that are written in this book. And if any man shall take away from the words of this book, of this prophecy, God shall take away his part out of the book of life and out of the holy city and from the things which are written in this book. The reason I was horrified the other day is because, number one, I believe that Scripture, and we can see from archaeologists, history, whatever, the Scripture that we have is is relevant and, in, and is truth and inspired by God. I get very concerned when I see people's individual Bibles coming out to clarify their own point of view, changing the law, changing the words in the Bible. Len. Would you like to continue? Thanks. Well, there are two other warnings about the very same thing. One of them was from Jesus, and this is in Matthew five nineteen. But the other one is from the book of, in Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 2, where the Lord instructed this, Do not add to what I command you, and do not subtract from it, but keep the commands of the Lord your God. So... I uh, regard some of the subtractions which I know about where the second commandment has been removed and the tenth commandment split in two. The fourth commandment has been condensed to the point where it's almost meaningless. People do that because it is inconvenient to their way of thinking, but it's wrong. This is the word of God. You can't fiddle with God's word and get away with it. I, I believe that's right, Len. I, um, I was horrified and I'm not having a go at any particular group, but I'm just using an illustration here that I was introduced to another new one that's just come out and it's called the Queen Jane Bible. And um, I leave you to imagine what, what is in that. But I, I was quite perturbed, especially in light of this grim warning that we have, We don't have authority to be able to change scripture to what we want uh, because we don't want to follow what it says. And I think we need to be very careful on on the score. Just very quickly, Helen, uh, this is one of the the, um, direst warnings in the whole of scripture, Revelation 22, 18 and 19. The reason for that, I believe, is actually reasonably simple, though. 
The reason for it is the book of Revelation starts with the words, the revelation of Jesus Christ. Now, if it's the revelation of Jesus Christ, no human being can add anything of value to it and no human being can subtract anything of value to it. But what's important is verse 19 mentions three things that are going to happen to you if you add to it or take from it. And I think the only safety we have is, and this is why we as um, Seventh Adventists believe this very strongly, we believe that the Bible interprets itself. We have to use the Word of God to interpret the Word of God. Anything beyond that is adding and subtracting. Amen. Thank you. Lija? I have New International Version of the Bible. And later on, I found out when I compared with some other versions like King James Version, I found out that many verses are missing from my Bible. And I was astonished because I found out that lots of there are lots of verses in numbers of tens and tens are missing from the Bible. And I'm very upset because I cannot find them when, when I need them. So who translated into this version removed some texts thinking that they are not very important. And as the text in Revelation affirms um, not to take anything or not to add, so we should not say less what the scripture affirms and not to add to the words of the scriptures or not to go beyond its clear teachings. That's a, that's a good point. I know, do know of many people that have been brought to the Lord through that version as well as the message as well as lots of others. I'm a great believer in going back to the original if I can and uh, just in the studies that I've done, I feel that the uh, King James is probably one of the closest but unless we can go back to the original original, it's very hard to know. But let's not discount the fact that people can be drawn to God through it. But the important thing is that God says, don't add and don't take away. I just wanted to quickly add that the Bible tells the New Testament that in the the latter days of such, people would be looking for teachers of the Bible to tell them words they want to hear, not the words they need to hear. It just seems to me that in order to study the Bible properly... (laughs) And most of us haven't been trained in this. It helps to know what, particularly for the New Testament, it helps to know what the Greek is. But even if you study the Greek, you can find that a Greek word means half a dozen different things. Then you have to try and apply it to the text that you're actually reading. So um, I, I think the safest course of action is read the Bible. When you come to a section you can't understand, go back, cross reference, try and find whatever else the Bible has to say on the subject. Then, and even then, if it is still not clear, just pray and ask the Holy Spirit to guide you and show you what it means. Then you've got the right mindset, the the right mindset to be able to take it in. Thank you. Nick? Yeah, just very simple words to take it a little bit uh, together here. Everyone can understand uh, the Bible at their level. And I will say something important here. If you have an inquisitive mind, then you have tools to go further and to compare and to use those tools. Yes. If you are a simple person, remember the Bible is inspired by God and the Holy Spirit will take you through, will take you to the passages you need for your salvation. You don't need to know Hebrew. You don't need to know Greek. You don't need to know all other things. 
the plan of salvation is so simple in the Bible, even a child can understand it. And there are people who cannot access those tools. But if you have that inquisitive mind and you are willing to find out, there are tools out there and you can compare in between translations, you can compare in between this and that, and you can come to a conclusion. Thank you for that, Nick. I appreciate it. Okay, my final question is, what does sola scriptura mean? This is where I learned something this week. Yes, Harvey. Well, sola scriptura, of course, is the Latin, which really means the Bible alone or the scriptures alone. So we should learn truth as we can get it by study from the scriptures alone. That doesn't mean we can't use other um, books that help us, but we should decide things on the basis of scripture alone. Thank you. What about me? What have you got to say? I believe this is very important. In fact, in Isaiah chapter 8 and verse 20, there is an admonition. It says, To the law and to the testimony, if they do not speak according to this word, there is no light in them. So it has to be whatever we believe and whatever people write needs to be according to what the Bible says. Harvey said that doesn't doesn't detract from the fact that you can read other books that point you in the right direction. And we're aware of the fact that the writings of Ellen White have been very criticised by some people and suggesting that she just sat down and wrote stuff. But if you read the writings of E.G. White, you'll see that they are filled with references from the Bible and there's usually at the back of each book a whole list of the references given. So if a person speaks against the Bible, well, there's no light in them. But if they speak according to what the Bible says, it's worth reading. Thank you, Len. Nick, you wanted to comment. I just want to say uh, in regard to the Sola Scriptura, that uh, dictum, if you like, during the Great Reformation was because there was not only Sola Scriptura, but was tradition and scripture. And tradition was placed above the scripture in many aspects. That's why the Sola Scriptura is very important, because we can have tools. And Len, you mentioned some writings, you know, you mentioned E.G. White writings, which actually herself referred to a lesser light, points to the, to the greater light, which is a tool. Sometimes, you know, you may come across some writings from a, not necessarily from the scripture, to point you to the scripture. And that's a good thing. That's nothing bad. Okay. I think, Brenton, you had your hand up. Uh, just very briefly, Helen, I know time is running away with us. The term sola scriptura generally gained um, currency or significant currency during the time of the Reformation. Now, the person who particularly used this was Martin Luther. He wasn't the only one, but he was. Now, if you read his speech that he actually gave to the Diet of Worms, he actually says, we cannot rely on tradition because church leaders contradict themselves. He said, unless you can convince me from the word of God that what I have written is wrong, I cannot and will not recant. Now, isn't it a pity that that principle is not still followed today? Because the only safe principle is the principle he enunciated. That is, church leaders and theologians contradict one another. But unless you can show me from the word of God where I am wrong, I will not and cannot recant anything. And then he added, may God help me. I think that what we need today is that final statement. 
May God help us. Just before we finish, though, I thank you for all of that. What I learned this week, too, about Sola Scriptura was that it's not solo scriptura, as I believed it was. It's solar Sola. scriptura, yeah. which, which is, is different. It doesn't mean, well, so, solar scriptura does not mean solo scriptura, which means unaccompanied scripture. There are the sources that, you know, inevitably, as we've already mentioned out, bring out matters of faith and practice. But mm. we must remember that scripture alone stands above any creed, any church, any tradition, any man-made philosophy, yes. any changes that people make. It is the final, it is the only real authority we can go by. And I think we need to remember that, that if we have a thought, or we have been told something, we always must go back and check it. As the Bereans did, we must go back and study the scripture to see if it is so. Okay, Lydia, would you like to comment, please? I would like to say something in regard to life application. We don't need other authorities to interpret scripture for us because there is a priesthood of all believers and also there is wisdom in the collective knowledge of those who are studied the Bible. And God also guides our fellow believers and new light will stand the test of closest investigation by those who are cherish the message of the Bible. Ellen White says that God has not passed his people by and chosen one solitary man here and another there as the only ones worthy to be entrusted with his truth. But he does not give one man new light, contrary to the established faith of the body. And we have to be careful that Satan has also power to give false appearance and false understanding of the truth. And um, Ellen White is warning in regard to this, that there are tendencies sometimes to divert the mind from the truth. Error is never harmless, but it never sanctifies, but always brings confusion and dissension. And we have to go to the Bible alone to ask for the power of the Holy Spirit to bring the right light and the right understanding in our minds to understand and obey God's word, to gain knowledge and also to bear fruit. Thank you, Lydia. Appreciate that. Uh, recently, I conducted the funeral of a person. I was given her Bible before the funeral service, which I had to conduct at the graveside due to COVID-19 restrictions. And going through her Bible, there were massive sections of the Bible, not only underlined, but also comments written sideways, underneath, in the margin, and all that sort of thing. As I read through this Bible, this person's individual Bible, I realised that to her, the Bible meant everything. And even though my Bible, if you were to look through it, is not underlined, I really do um, identify and I really do find it incredibly humbling to look through someone's Bible, particularly an older person, and see how much underlining and how many comments there are alongside it. It's, it tells me that God's word to them means everything. And I think that's the challenge for us today. Does God's word to us mean everything like it did to her? 
Well, thank you for that. And I think we have to close on that note. I hope that we've all learnt and, and listeners, I hope you have realised the, the unity of the scriptures, the clarity of the scriptures, how to interpret the scriptures through the power of the Holy Spirit, line upon line, precept upon precept, and also sola scriptura. The Bible is the, the final and only authority. Others can enlighten, but it's the Bible alone. So let's finish in prayer. And uh, thank you, panel, for all that you've done today. Thank you. Father in heaven, many people are listening to this broadcast by uh, radios powered by solar power. We pray, Lord, that our lives might be controlled by solar scripture, which teaches us the way to eternal life, which teaches us about a loving God who did everything in order to save us, I pray for your blessings on all the listeners who hear this program. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Thank you. Thank Thank you very much, panel, for uh, all your participation to this study. I know it uh, could be even more said. Uh, Just keep in mind, I will uh, say to everyone listening there, that God is using us all to bring together his plan. You can be a tool in God's hands to bring more people to understand the Bible. God sent the disciples said, go and preach the gospel all over the world and teach and preach everything what I have commanded you. We are not here just to look into the Bible ourselves. We are here to learn together at the feet of Jesus. And I'll encourage you to open the Bible and share that great message with as many people as possible. May God bless you. And uh, keep safe until we'll meet again next week. Keep walking in the footsteps of Jesus.